The What Would It Take podcast is co-produced by Anabaptist World and me, Ben Tapper. The views expressed here are my own and do not necessarily represent the official positions of Anabaptist World. To learn more, visit anabaptistworld.org. Today we're exploring part two of the question, what would it take to talk about sex? Once again, I want to offer a content warning. We're going to be discussing sex, sexual abuse, trauma, and consent today. So if that might be triggering, please take care of yourself however you need to. And if you usually listen to this podcast with children present, check this episode out by yourself first or wear headphones. At the end of our last episode, I left you with a series of questions designed to help you explore your attitudes, beliefs, and feelings about sex. If you haven't heard that episode or haven't had a chance to reflect on those questions, hit pause and listen to the last few minutes of our previous episode and do some reflection on those questions. I think they'll help prepare you for what is coming next. I mean, why are we even having these conversations at all? Why is it important to talk about our attitudes and beliefs around sex? To answer those questions, we really need to look beyond sex. The truth is, when we talk about sex, we're talking about something else entirely. We're really talking about how we desire, seek, and experience pleasure. We're talking about our bodies and how they feel. We're talking about our need for connection and intimacy, and we're talking about relationships. Sex just happens to be the lens through which we covertly have these conversations. For a lot of people, especially those that grew up in more conservative or Christian environments, these conversations come with tons of baggage. See, we were told that our bodies, aka our flesh, was at war with the spirit and therefore we should resist the flesh. So we've spent years suppressing, resisting, and even demonizing our own desires, thinking it's the right thing to do. But what if that isn't true? Go with me for a second here. I'm not asking you to abandon any beliefs or forego your theological stances. I am inviting you to imagine expanding what you believe for just a moment. And in that moment, tell me what happens when you let yourself believe that your body is actually good. Or what if you understood your desires and urges as messages and nothing more? Messages we can be curious about, reflect upon, and eventually come to understand, but messages nonetheless. Unfortunately, our theology might be keeping us from exploring these messages and understanding ourselves better. And I firmly believe, I firmly believe that any barrier to self-understanding is a barrier to God. I've seen that truth play out in my life time and time again. The more I understand myself and reconnect with the parts of me that I've abandoned or misunderstood, the better I'm able to sense the spirit move and hear her speak. So let's take it from the top, all the way back to the creation narrative in Genesis. The first thing we need to recognize is that there isn't one, but actually two distinct creation stories in the first few chapters of Genesis. There's the priestly narrative, which is Genesis chapter 1, verse 1 through chapter 2, verse 4. Then there's the Yahwist narrative, which is Genesis chapter 2, verse 4 through chapter 3, verse 24. We know they're different narratives because in each of them, creation happens in a different order. We can also see evidence of these separate narratives later during the story of the flood as well. Now, let me say that acknowledging that there are multiple storytellers does not invalidate the scriptures. If anything, it helps us understand its context and thus its meaning even better. 
And if you're skeptical of there being two creation narratives, try this little experiment. Read Genesis chapter 1, verse 1 through chapter 2, verse 4a, then skip ahead and start reading from Genesis chapter 5, verse 1. It will probably feel seamless because it is. Everything in between from chapter 2, verse 4b, all the way until you get to chapter 5, verse 1, is a distinct and separate narrative. Now, for some of you, this is probably old hat. For others, maybe it's the first time you're hearing about it. So if you want to learn more about why scholars believe there are two distinct narratives in the book of Genesis, you can check out the show notes. Now, the creation story we all know by heart is the Yahwist narrative in which the first man and woman eat the fruit of the forbidden tree and must deal with the consequences. As an aside, I should note that nowhere in the narrative in Genesis does it say that humanity is suddenly plagued with an incurable condition that will result in eternal damnation. This theological perspective developed long after the creation narratives were told and passed down. But once again, that's an aside. We don't need to dwell there right now. If we examine the priestly account of creation, which is a distinct story about how the world came to be, we see God creating everything in heaven and on earth before God rests on day seven. In chapter one, verse 31, the text says, quote, God saw everything that he had made and indeed it was very good, end quote. Now, most of us continue reading and learn from the Yahwist account about Adam and Eve disobeying God and learning that they were naked. They're given punishment for their disobedience and eventually driven from the garden so that they don't become immortal. We then overlay the teachings of Paul, St. Augustine, and others onto the story and make it say things it actually doesn't say. But even if we take both creation narratives into account, the value judgment on humanity doesn't really change until we get to the story of Noah in which God decides to destroy humanity because of how violent everyone has become. What's my point here? Well, if we read the creation stories at face value, we cannot walk away with the idea that our bodies are sinful or unholy just by virtue of existing. It just isn't in the text. So what if we stick with what is there? I'm wondering what happens when we change our theological emphasis. What if we return to the original proclamation of creation in chapter 1, verse 31, that it was very good? If we're taking the text at its word, then creation is inherently good. So what if we lean into that goodness? What if you start with your own body? Can it be good? I mean, can we understand the flesh, bones, and cells that make up our bodies as holy? as filled with the breath of the Spirit and animated by the word of the divine. Most of us have no problem looking at a mountain range in awe and wonder. We witness the brilliance of the planets and the stars in the night sky and wax poetically about the wonders of God. We'll place our feet in the ocean and discover it is testifying about the greatness and grandeur of God, and yet we can't find the holiness in our own bodies. Our bodies, which contain the same stardust of the cosmos, the same water of the ocean, and the same carbon of the mountains, we can't perceive what is holy within them. If we could understand how wonderful our bodies are, it would reshape how we approached life. I mean, if our bodies are good, then honoring them also becomes good and holy. That means paying attention to pleasure and pain. It means resting more and punishing ourselves less. It means exploring our bodies and letting them teach us about ourselves. 
Our bodies have so much to teach us, and it's time we become good students. So your homework this week is to listen and learn. Play with the lens I'm offering and imagine that creation, which includes your bodies, is inherently good. Then notice which of your attitudes start to shift. How does this shift affect your actions or your speech? I've given you a lot to chew on this week, so take your time and move at your own pace. Most importantly, move at a pace that feels good to you. And what I really want to invite you into is this idea that it's important to talk about sex and sexuality. It's important to talk about pleasure and our bodies because creation is good. We have done ourselves a great disservice by buying into the lie that our flesh is at war with the spirit or that our desires are inherently sinful and antagonistic to God or that sex itself is only okay if it's experienced within one very specific context. And this isn't just about our own individual experiences of pleasure or joy. It's about our collective freedom. See, sometimes I think it's really easy for some of us to look at systemic racism or to look at organizational sexism and to see the structures that are oppressing us and to fight against them. But when it comes to those things, those attitudes, those beliefs that are, maybe are more widely held and more pervasive within a system or those beliefs and theologies that are so deeply internalized that it's terrifying to question them, those are the prisons we miss on our journey towards liberation. And so by inviting us into this discussion and these reflections on our attitudes and our beliefs about sex, I'm hoping you understand that this is still tied up and bound up in our collective liberation, the same way anti-racism work is, the same way anti-sexism work is. It's all part of the same fight. It's just a part of the fight that doesn't get quite as much play in most of our circles. And I think it's time we change that. Thank you for listening to another episode of the What Would It Take podcast. If you appreciate this work and want to support me, please take a moment and leave a five-star rating on Apple Podcast. That is the fastest way for new listeners to find this content and for our audience and community to grow. And I also encourage you to take a moment and share this podcast on your social media platforms so that others can listen to and reflect on the same things that you're reflecting on. You can also follow me on social media. I'm on Facebook and Instagram. And if you have questions or topics you want to suggest, feel free to email me at benjaminjtapper at gmail.com. That's Tapper with two Ps. Once again, thank you for listening to this episode. Thank you for holding my vulnerability and for the parts of myself that I offered today and for going with me on this journey. We've now spent two episodes reflecting on the question, what would it take to talk about sex? We've got some answers. Now, let's get to work. Mm-hmm.